0: Well, I do have, very quickly, a promo for you. This is not a paid advertisement, but it's important, and it will tie in. Um, and, and, and this is one of those God moments. I'm preparing the message. I'm getting things ready, and, and I pull up this devotion. Actually, it come out in Our Daily Bread. I, I read that every day, part of my, my study time. And, and I thought, Wow. This is a Holy Spirit moment. This fits perfectly, and it's called more than ambassadors, more than ambassadors. Now, stay with me because I, first of all, want to promote a car, okay? Is that okay? We'll get, we'll get to Jesus, but listen to this. This showed up in the middle of my sermon prep. Competition in the Internet age has become fierce. Increasingly, companies are developing creative ways to attract customers, Take Subaru for vehicles, for instance. Subaru owners are famously loyal, so the company has invited uh, Subi superfans to become brand ambassadors of their vehicles. Now, obviously, I am not promoting Subarus. I understand they have a fine reputation of reliability and all that kind of thing. But listen to this as a mere example. The company's website says Subaru Ambassadors are an exclusive group of energetic individuals who volunteer their passion and enthusiasm to spread the word about Subaru and help shape the future of the brand. Now, is that advertising? The company wants Subaru ownership to become a part of people's very identity. Are you beginning to connect the dots here to our spiritual walk? Something they're so passionate about that they can't help but share. What a plug for evangelism, folks. If a car company can put together this group of subi superfans, why can't the church come up with a group of passionate in love with Jesus tell everybody I know how to get saved group? Amen. It's part of our identity and I want you to hold that thought as we move into the message because being a Christian isn't just a title or a membership designation. It's an identity issue. That's who we are. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. Let's uh, move into today's scripture. If you would, please stand. And First John chapter 3 is where we'll be beginning, verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whoever or whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Verse 24, whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and in Him, and by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Father, we pray that we would... Be open and sensitive to the reading of your word today as it speaks truths into our hearts. And Father, may we be diligent in the application of these eternal principles. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Please be seated. We have already learned about love for uh, of the believers for other believers. Uh, in John chapter 2, we focused on fellowship. Uh, a believer who is walking in the light will evidence that fact by loving the brethren. Now we are moving into this sonship, as we did last week, into this sonship principle. And and we have been reminded that a true child of God practices righteousness. And now we look at the, at the matter of love for the brethren. A striking difference we should, we should pick up and notice between the earlier, earlier back in 1 John 2, and the present treatment of love for the brethren. In John in 1 John 2, we're told that loving the brethren is a matter of light and darkness. If we don't love one another, we cannot walk in the light, no matter how large our profession. But in this section right here, on brotherhood, John goes a little bit deeper, a little deeper. And we are told that loving the brethren is a matter of not light and darkness, but life and death. Life and death. Love will define, reveal the true believer and unify the truth. Where there is disunity in the church, there is a lack of biblical love. But I also it. and Pastor Adam and I were having this conversation this past week, there is another unifying emotion that can prevail, hate. Do you know that? Hate is a great unifier. It brings like-minded, like, similar heart-conditioned people together. They, it brought two opposing uh, groups called Sadducees and Pharisees into the same camp for the same cause to kill Jesus and to destroy Paul's ministry. Two groups that did not get along at all, but, man, they, they found unity in hating somebody, didn't they? Have you ever been around a, a group like that where their unity is based on dislikes and anger and hate? And they, they feed off of each other as they feed off of that emotion. But here today we're going to talk about love, the great unifier of the body of Christ. Point number one for our consideration is we are given a command to love. Now, I could have said an option or a multiple choice or a true and false, but I would have violated the Word of God if I would have said that. We are given a command, a command. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Folks, are there any, uh, this is where you stop and say, any questions? Any questions? The point, this points directly to John's gospel record. Remember, same author. He learned well. Listen to these words he heard from the Lord's own lips. John 13 A new commandment I give to you that you love one another commandment just as I have loved you now wait a minute let's don't let's don't move through this too quick a new commandment I give to you that you should love one another and what is the example or to follow in that love just as I have loved you whoa don't lose that, please. Again, I'm asking you to hang on to some of these things for just a little bit, and we're going to get back to them. You also are to love one another. And listen, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Identity. Identity. Do we hear these words? Do we? Can we hear these words with a. Same authority that John did. I mean, he heard the Lord himself speak them. Well, listen, the Lord is still speaking them because the word of God is living and active. This is no game. There are no options. There are no multiple choice. We either obey the Lord's command or we rebel against it. Loving one another is an eternal command. It is without limits or conditions and it is the evidence of a true believer. It's not a burden, but a joy. It's not okay if I have to, right? It is a compelling force in the life of every child of God. Love is not primarily an emotion. It's a decision flowing from our conviction as followers of Christ, if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, there's not room for a hate of the brethren within that sphere. If we're so full of the love of Christ in us, then we just don't have time to hate or be angry with the brethren. Do you see how what this means? It's not about focusing on the absence of hate. It's on focusing on the abundance of love. And that's what gives us our life purpose. So not only do we have the command to love, secondly, let's take a brief look at the corrosiveness of hate. The corrosiveness. It's like acid. Acid that just eats away. It's a a radical switch. Again, hate is such a powerful and offensive word. Well, guess what? Our our anger and lack of love is powerful and very offensive to the Lord. (laughs) Dig a little deeper. The example of Cain and Abel, the scripture says that hate and murder are companions, one being the ultimate end of the other. But what is a murderer or a hater? Let's pull from the Lord's words again in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it is said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Sounds like, a, sounds like pretty severe consequences, doesn't it? So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and Go. First, be reconciled to that brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. Gary, I, I just this is off the cuff, but how easy is it to pay a debt while you're incarcerated? Not very easy, is it? There, you, you're not generating a lot of income uh, in, in incarceration. So you see the, the, double, the double penalty here. You've got this debt hanging over your head that you can't possibly call because you're incarcerated for the crime. So you see what, what Jesus is saying here. Folks, be careful. It's, it's like uh, lust and adultery. He says, look, you don't have to commit the act. You just have to look the look. You look on someone with lust You've already committed adultery. You get angry with someone, look out. You may have already killed them. How many people have ever been murdered in here? All right, I'm not, I'm not, I'm being very serious. How how many of you have ever been murdered by a word, an accusation? How about a look? You have, haven't you? You've seen it. That look. The disc is full of daggers and, and it hurts and it kills. It kills. So we got to be careful with how we define murder. The way of Cain versus the way of God. Anger, hate, murder. I read something again there just recently, and I said God has a has a right to get angry. But God's anger is always a reflection of his righteousness. Our anger is a reflection of our selfishness. Please note in the example of Cain and Abel, we'll move through this quickly. Cain and Abel were brothers. They had the same parents. They grew up in the same home. And listen to this, very carefully, very important, both were presented in Scripture as worshipers. They were both presented as worshipers. Both brought sacrifices to the Lord. Cain was not presented as an atheist. They were together in worship and giving gifts to the Lord. Do you see where this has taken us? How do you tell the two apart at this point? How do you tell the two? They were both. From the same parents, both in the same home, both raised under the same rules. Both of them brought offerings to the Lord. Both of them were described as worshipers, but one killed the other. One killed the other. Folks, that's why this is so important. You can't go through the motions and expect to have a life transformation. Everybody can go through the motions, but Abel was a true worshiper, and what's the scripture tell us the difference was? Faith. Faith. You see, all across America and around the world, in every church gathering today, there are Cain's and there are Abel's. There are the born-again, and there are the religious practitioners. Let the Holy Spirit examine your heart today. The difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering was faith, Hebrews eleven four, 4. And faith is always based on the revelation God has given. It seems clear that God must have given definite instructions concerning how he was to be worshipped. Cain rejected God's word and decided to worship in his own way. This shows his relationship with his true dad, Satan himself. And I really wanted to entitle the sermon, Who's Your Daddy Now?, but... Uh, They discouraged it, so I'll just share that with you. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You see how we're saved? Not by works, not by good deeds. We're saved by Faith. So before we declare innocence of hatred or murder, we ought to better understand the biblical definition of both. And I will say that I have been guilty. I have been guilty. And my plea is not a, a plea bargaining, it's simply I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus because that's all I have. That's all you have. Because You all as guilty as I am. And if not for the blood of Jesus Christ, we will remain in that guilt with nothing we can do about it. Our only hope is the blood. Our only hope is the redeeming power and the sacrifice of God's Son. But consider for a moment that hate is not really the opposite of love. You know what the opposite of love is? Indifference. Indifference. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food? And one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving him the things he needs for the body, what good is that? So also faith of itself, if it does not work, is dead. Faith will work. It is not a means of salvation. It is the evidence of salvation that faith, saving faith, works itself out in serving others point number three and and if if anything that we all get here today this was this was mine this is this is the point that god gave for me i want to share it with you okay the cross that defines us the cross that defines us cain is our example of false love christ is the example of true christian love Jesus gave his life for us that we may experience the truth. Every Christian knows John 3.16, but do you know 1 John 3.16? How many did you know there's a a, a duplicate in there? John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 3.16 says this. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I wish we understood First John 3:16 as well as we know John 3:16. Folks. do you hear me? You hear me? I'm talking here. Please understand that. I'm talking here. Love cost Jesus everything. Love cost the Father everything. What is it costing me? What is it costing you? Love is most often just a cheap word, a feel-good description. But love, from God's perspective, had an infinite price on it, undeterminable. We cannot measure the cost of Christ. We can't measure it because we're talking about man's soul. His eternal existence hangs in the balance Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. True love will cost us, but brothers and sisters, my friends, love, the cost, the price is worth it. It's worth it. Joy, peace, assurance, hope, comfort, remember, unresolved anger and unforgiveness hinders our prayer life, hinders our living, the Christian life that God calls us to live. The cross of Christ is our defining moment and marker. It ought to stand tall and loud in everyone's life. It's a point of, of, of transition, of transformation. The cross of Christ changes everything. You cannot behold the crucified Savior and walk away unchanged. You hear the Word of God. You cannot. When we look upon the crucified Savior, we see our proper end. What we should have received is what he bore. And listen to what Paul writes in Second Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls or compels us. Because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The sinless dying for sinners, the innocent suffering and dying for the guilty. What did he do for me? He saved me by his grace. He saved me by his grace. I had nothing to offer him, and neither do you. All he wants is our honesty, our confession of guilt. (laughs) That, Lord, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you, I have sinned against my brother, my sister. I'm a sinner. And if you withdraw your grace and mercy, I will have no hope. No hope. Too many professing Christians know the cross of Christ as a historical truth, but still don't understand or know the Christ of the cross as a life transforming truth. What defines you? What compels you? What controls you? Is it your Subaru? Is it your Subaru? It can be that dumb. It can be that simple. Or is it the love of Christ? The love of Christ in us finally and in closing. The command to love. The corrosiveness of hate. And the cross that defines us. We have the confirmation of our conversion. The confirmation of our conversion. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Love is the great confirmation that we have been born again. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, John says, chapter 3, verse 14. The brothers is a a telling statement. John is speaking here of the church. If we love our fellow Christian, we have evidence that we are born again. This love is not situated in in, in a humanitarian level of concern, but rather in the shared experience of being in the body of Christ together. Folks, I love you. I love you. As my brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you. You're my family. I, I need you. I need you because I'm a wandering sheep and I tend to to get off track once in a while. So I need the body of Christ. I need my trusted friends. I need my family around me. And I hope you feel the same way. That's why the writer of Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering together because God knows how important fellowship is. God created us for fellowship. First of all, fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. It's the key and essential part of the Christian life, my friends. The brothers to be concerned about those who are in Christ. To not love is to embrace death. Where there is life, there is love. Where there is no love, there is darkness and death. And that life is wrapped up in verse 24. Well, we read again, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. That's a huge word, a huge word. And God in him. Remember Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17. This is exactly what Jesus prayed. It's exactly what Jesus prayed. I and them, them and me, us and you, this, this connectedness. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. John's first mention clearly, explicitly of the Holy Spirit. Earlier where he was referred to as the seed that God had planted in us. Now we get his name, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, all central to our Lord's personal prayer. Let me read those words in clothing. Closing, clothing, yes. Honey, I'm not going to get another day out of this. Now you know my laundry story, so, you know. I do not ask for these alone, Jesus said, but also for those who will believe in me. That's us. That's us through their word, that they may all be one. Do you see it, folks? This is the Lord's prayer. This is the Lord's closing thoughts and words before he was to go to the cross. This was the most important thing on his mind, on his heart, right before his brutal crucifixion. How important is this? Father, let me me back up that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me ambassadors. There's the ambassadors. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Brothers and sisters, do you see the intensity of this text? Jesus is saying that God the Father wants you to know his love. It's the same love in which he loved his own son, which we are sons of his. This just goes on and on. I can't quit. Do you see the intensity of this? Father, I know how much you love me. I'm your son. But let all the rest of these people know that you love them just the same. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. If it was that important to Jesus, why isn't it our number one priority in life? The Holy Spirit is mentioned by name, First John, in this verse, And it's important because the Holy Spirit is the confirmer of our salvation. And that's why we come to this point. You know, I had the joy yesterday of, I was coming down the hall at home and Colton stepped out of his bedroom and said, Grandpa, I've been preparing for your sermon tomorrow. he had handwritten the entire text as a way of preparing. The entire text that we just read, he had handwritten it all as a way of review. And I was convicted of my own (laughs) lack of preparation at times. My friends... this is not a scare tactic and i mean it sincerely but we're in the final final stretch of this thing called the world i i just i hope god's wrapping it all up i believe he is in his time in his time and i'm going to throw this out there because i want you to seriously consider it you've heard me say it before I'm not insane. I'm not mentally unbalanced. Well, I may be some. But if you don't have a real desire to go see Jesus, then I would ask you to be in very serious prayer. That does not mean you want to die now. That doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that we have an unhealthy mental issue with embracing death it's not suicidal it's not please understand but over it all is this desire to just go home just go home and I told a dear brother in Christ this morning I I I want to I I long for that moment I long for that day when when Jesus says welcome home welcome home and we hug And we hug. And I'm going to whisper in his ear, Lord, don't be offended, please. But I want to look over your shoulder and see my kids. I want to look over your shoulder and see my husband. He's right there behind you, Jesus. He's right there behind you. That's the longing that I refer to when life's toils are over and we rest but folks you cannot be sure of that until you embrace that the cross that defines us do you see him do you see him there breathing his last forgiving his executioners Well, you see, when he spoke those words of forgiving his executioners, he was speaking to me. He was speaking to me. And he was speaking to you. What is your identity? And if you're leaving here today in a Subaru, drive safely. But it won't get you there. It will not get you to glory. Jesus can and